entertainment capital of the world. It's the T.C. Martin Show. We are seeing a special performance in this first half tonight. The doctor operates here. Well, he has trouble with the spin. And the ball is free. It's picked up by Michigan State. Jalen Watts Jackson. And he scores on the last play of the game. Unbelievable. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. T.C. Martin. Hey, it was BYOG. Bring your own guts. And they brought some guts. Is now in. And a very good Monday to you. Hope you had a great weekend. I basically had like a three-day weekend. I appreciate Ballpark Frank, VGK Frank, Frank Harness for filling in on Friday, a little extended weekend. So I get in my extended weekends during the month of, of August. And uh, I don't know. I, I usually take even an entire week off. If I do that, Stevie Slapshot, then you're going to have to really hold down the fort. All right. Usually I go see Major League Baseball during this August time, and I really can't do that. Please don't take a week off. I am no T.C. Martin. (laughs) (laughs) Not in my wildest dreams. He is Stevie Slapshot. He is not the earthquake. He is out today. Brad the Believer, still on vacation. And uh, who knows what Quake is doing today. Hopefully Quake is good. I tried to call him earlier, and he didn't answer the phone. I don't know. Well, that's it. See, that, see, he's on an extended vacation. Was he just big-timing me, you He's big-timing you, oh, exactly. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Okay. See, everyone kind of has that same August approach. You know, as they used to say in baseball, the dog days of summer. Yeah. See, a lot of people in our industry have that because they know you're ramping up for the beginning of the football season. And really, our calendar in sports talk radio always clicks over the day after Labor Day. That's when you have new shows that start. Uh, new ideas, you know, new promos, everything, new schedules. Does it feel completely yeah. different to you, though, this year? Because oh, we, we've got yeah. basketball and hockey and baseball going on right now, and I, I completely forgot that football, in theory, is right around the corner. Yes. I just completely forgot that. I know, and, and it's hard to still fathom that we're just now getting to the first round of the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs now because right. now we are finally set in where are we oh we're in the middle of August by <laughs> the way so again this is crazy the the WNBA season is heading down the stretch and they've only got like 7 8 games under their belt and the NBA as we know should be they should all be on vacation right, right now uh, they should be they should be celebrating the, the post parades already long gone Instead, we haven't even reached the playoff round for the NBA. So, yeah, it is crazy. It is different to think about all that, and especially with the news coming down today about college football uh, just really, really making us think twice now. But the NFL will continue to march on. They're going to march on no matter what, and I think that's great for sports fans. But with college football, today we get the news that the season could be on the brink of potential cancellation. We have a Power 5 conference commissioners held in emergency meeting yesterday to talk about the future of college football and many of these conference commissioners leaning towards the postponement or the cancellation. So we are going to dive into that big time here today. Uh, Two of our very special guests, good friends who are very well connected to the college football scene. Trevor Madge, of course, does a fine job with ESPN. And just last week, they held the Emmy Awards virtually. And I always introduce Trevor as the 15-time Emmy Award winner. Well, now i got to change that now. 16? 16 as he won another Emmy Award for his fantastic college football analysis. So, uh, yeah, so congratulations to Trevor. He will join us today. Obviously, this is his livelihood, the former you know, NFL player, 
but uh, has done such a great job with ESPN over the past 20 plus years. So uh, we will dive in with him today and get his thoughts on what is happening with college football. But we start the, sh uh, the show from a different perspective. Our good friend Matthew Holt from U.S. Integrity, who actually his company, you know, has contracts with just about all of these power five conferences so we're going to dive into that with him today a little bit later on we will talk nba bubble the wnba and everything else that's going on but a very very busy sports day a crazy sports day and again we've been going through this for quite some time what is happening with college football we have no idea what is happening with college football we have had no idea for the past few months and here as we sit here on august the 10th today when you know teams should be in their own training camps, they are still undecided on what to do. We have no one making the ultimate decision, as as many conference commissioners are saying. Hey, you know, we we don't want to be the first to cancel, but then again, we surely don't want to be the last as well, too. So we're hitting all this on the program with you today. And joining us now, our good friend Matthew Holt. Matt, what's going on, my man? GC, what's happening? Just crazy times, my friend. It is crazy times here. All right, so a lot to dive into with uh, you, Matt, today. You meet and talk with a lot of these college commissioners, and I know that your business, you know, you've got involved in this business. You've been in this business, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, for a little over a year after leaving the sports book industry that we've done so many great things together. But you put your company, U.S. Integrity, on your shoulders. Uh, what does this mean personally for you if we have no college football season? Well, it's certainly been a challenging time since March anyway. I mean, we lost March Madness, which was such a big portion of revenue for so many of our clients here at U.S. Integrity at the Collegiate Conference and University Space. And now when you start to add in college football on top of it, um, it it's not just the football and basketball we're going to lose as well. So many of these athletic to budget budgets in sports that we've seen exponential betting growth on, like soccer, lacrosse, softball, women's basketball, volleyball, are all going to suffer from this as well. Um, really devastating situation for many conferences and universities across the country. You know, speaking of the funding, we know that the football season really is, it is all about television. Plain and simple. I mean, if there were no TV contracts and no multi-billion dollar contracts, they would just play safe and say, hey, forget it, it's done. But after the NCAA took such a hit, you know, with no March Madness, I think this is why they've waited and waited and trying to take so long to make this decision. Because let's be honest here. I mean, the way that the schematics go with this is that the college football season and March Madness, not so much the regular season for college basketball makes money, but the money makers are the college football season, the bowl series, and then the NCAA tournament. When they lost the NCAA tournament in March, it just basically killed a lot of these schools, some of these smaller schools, and even the larger schools like we talked about before. Stanford had to cut 11 of their sports. They're like kind of country club sports. And when you see a university like Stanford, who has such a deep endowment, going to that necessity of cutting sports, for college football to be gone, Matt, I mean, just talk about what that is going to do coming off the heels of what just transpired with March Madness. Yeah, I mean, you just said it. Look, at most major D1 universities, football and, bas and men's basketball are the only two 
revenue generating sports and they you know we saw an interview earlier with scott frost today the head coach in nebraska where he said if they don't have a college football season nebraska will lose 80 to 120 million dollars for their athletic budget this year that 80 to 120 million dollars that funds the women's softball team the women's basketball team you know some of these all these other smaller sports the men's and women's across the university so football really is the catalyst for having all these other sports across the university um you know very difficult times for not only the the folks that are at these universities but for anybody involved with collegiate athletics and to your point the media you know, some of these stations, a huge portion of their fall content is dedicated to college football, and um, you know, there's a lot of people that that get gainful employment from that as well, and that's just going to mean more people without the opportunity to earn that revenue this year. Uh, you mentioned Scott Frost, the head coach of Nebraska, the former player there, the great at uh, Nebraska. The Nebraska governor today had some great quotes. He spoke about the safety of playing college football and being in that environment is actually potentially safer than an 18 to 22-year-old lifestyle for these kids in general. Nick Saban also said there is no safer place for these players than on the campus of Alabama and a lot of these universities. And what he's referring to is that a lot of these inner-city kids, if you send them back home – they're going to be much safer, much safer on these college campuses in this controlled environment, this controlled bubble. And I don't think a lot of people are actually thinking about that. And for me, you know, Jim Harbaugh came out with quotes today. Trevor Lawrence came out with quotes, the, the Clemson quarterback. I think that these, these college commissioners and these presidents, these conference commissioners, they really need to start listening to the head coaches of these college football teams, the Harbaugh's and the Sabans, uh, Orgeron, people like that, and the college football players as well. Because almost unilaterally, the coaches and the players want to play. And they are probably safer here. So, But it doesn't seem that their voices are being heard. So speak a little bit to all of those comments. Well, one of the big problems with college athletics, period, isn't necessarily necessarily the athletes, but the parents of the athletes. The first time a student-athlete is hurt or involved in a situation, it's rarely the athlete himself looking to file a lawsuit against that university. It's the parents of that athlete always looking then to file these lawsuits. And it's hard to quantify the liability. So what's easy to quantify, or at least you know those numbers are readily available in many cases, is what is the pi- the potential financial loss to a to an organization, to a university, to a conference, and then how will that affect sports? Period on that campus moving forward and their athletic budgets. We can quantify those numbers quite easily. What we can't quantify right now is what is the potential liability to the universities should they decide to play kids get COVID and their parents decide to sue all right Matthew Holt joins us U.S. Integrity Matt you like I said in the beginning you meet and talk with a lot of these college commissioners uh, pretty regularly Uh, what sense are you getting that what we're going to do and do we have the right people making this decision because we've said before You know, with this being college, we really don't have one person who is making the almighty call. It's up to the conferences. It's up to each individual university. What is the sense that you're getting? 
Yeah, well, each individual conference is affected differently. So let's, you know, put the Power Five in their own category. So while the, the folks at Ohio, and I, and I know Dr. John Steinbrecher, I had the opportunity to, to work on some um, online education stuff that we did together this summer down in Athens, Ohio, on the campus of Ohio University, and he's an extremely articulate and thoughtful person, but their situation is much different. Once the collegiate conferences, the Power Five, decided that they weren't going to play non-conference games, then that was, I think, what, 18 games totaling uh, over $20 million that the MAC was going to lose in guaranteed play-for-pay games, their financial situation then became very different. They were already going to lose millions of dollars by playing against each other because they need that play-for-pay money, whereas the Power Five conferences are in a very different situation. They have more money, more money available for testing, and I think the one message from the Power Five conferences that's remained the same throughout this is if we only have conference games, then we know that the safety standards, the testing standards, the uh, you know all the protocols we put in place will be met for each and every student athlete, each and every game. Whereas if you have non-conference games, even if you're the host, you know the the, the SEC can't guarantee that BYU is going to have the same levels of standards and testing and you know, just you know, using them as an example as you would when everyone in the SEC is using the same protocol. So I thought the idea of keeping it conference only made a lot of sense because you're able to standardize the testing, the protocols in place. Um, but I guess, you know, it's just a matter of the safety protocols at this point and whether or not they can, they feel they can keep these student-athletes safe. So just to go over what has transpired just within the last 72 hours or so, college football, if you remember, towards the end of last week, came out and said, okay, we're going to go with the conference schedules only, got rid of all of the non-conference stuff. It seemed like the Big Ten was on board with that. The Pac-12 was on board with that. The SEC, we know definitely, has always stayed on board with that. They're probably going to be the one conference that's going to wait till the last minute. And then all of a sudden, you know, we have this emergency meeting that takes place on Sunday. There was conversations with meetings on Saturday as well uh, with some, uh, some Power Five conferences. But then, you know, yesterday after this meeting, we hear, well, now we're leaning towards canceling this all together or at least postpone it to the spring. What do you think transpired? Because a week or so ago, even less than that, Matt, seven, like I said, 72 hours ago, it sounded like we had a pretty good plan in place and it seemed like everybody was on board that, okay, we're going to start the season the middle of September. We uh, End of September, we've got conference games only. Uh, we have these dates locked in for conference championships. We can still do the bowl games. It sounded pretty solid. What transpired over the last you know, three, four days. Well, obviously you had your first D1 conference cancel things entirely in in the MAC conference. And, and say what you will, this is sort of how the basketball started in March. You know, the Ivy League uh, canceled their tournament. People were a little dismissive saying, all right, whatever, it's the Ivy League. But once a couple leagues followed, the pressure really became very heavy on the leagues that hadn't canceled yet. Um, and this is the situation here. Everybody was okay with UConn canceling, Old Dominion canceling. Uh, but once you get a major D1 conference like the MAC canceling that has so many schools in, in areas like Michigan and um, you know Kentucky and Ohio, then, then the pressure starts to mount. And now you have to determine – 
um, what's going to happen. Because what nobody wants to happen is a you know a whole bunch of them cancel, and you're the one out there on an island saying you're going to play, um, facing heavy scrutiny and backlash. So. Yeah, I, I think it's just the, the same thing that happened in March is starting to happen now, where the snowball started going down the hill, and as it gained more and more momentum, uh, it was safer to get on the, snow, on the snowball and, and ride the avalanche out than it was to stay in there and, uh, and take that avalanche head on. All right, the MAC canceled its fall season on Saturday. Like you mentioned, they are the first conference to do so. This could have this ripple effect, exactly what we saw with the NCAA tournament back in March. But there are different, differing opinions depending on which conference and you know which coaches that you're talking to. Let's run over a few quotes here. There is one unnamed Power 5 coach that said, nobody wanted to be the first to do it, and now nobody will want to be the last. Jim Harbaugh, the head coach of Michigan, says, I would like to address the rumors that are swirling around today. I'm not advocating for football this fall because of my passion or our players' desire to play, but because of the facts accumulated over the last eight weeks since our players returned to campus on June 13th. And what he's referring to is Michigan has zero positive COVID tests out of the last 353. He goes on to say, we have developed a great prototype for how we can make this work and provide the opportunity for players to play. If you are transparent and follow the rules, this is how it can be done. So some pretty powerful words from a very powerful head coach at a very powerful university. And then on the heels of this, we hear that Michigan and Michigan State actually voted to say, no, we don't want to play. But when you look at Har- what Harbaugh's saying here, I mean, this is what we need to look at here. Zero positive tests out of the last 353? It, it does seem very, very safe. And what we mentioned earlier, what, what Nick Saban is saying, is it's more safe here on our college campuses than sending these kids back home to their own cities. I do think that there is a strange protocol here because it seemed like for a long time that the availability for there to be college football this fall was really dependent on the ability to keep student-athletes safe on campus. And if it was safe to return to school, the thought was always that it would also be then be safe in a smaller group to return to playing football. What's interesting is 13 of the 14 Big Ten schools I, I thought I read earlier are, are, at least as of right now, are scheduled to or already have returned to campus for regular school activities. So if you can have tens of thousands of student athletes on campus, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm a little weary of how all of a sudden we can't have football because I thought the two were tied together for quite a long time. Um, and now suddenly it seems like they're completely irrespective of each other. That's true. All right, what are your thoughts about just, again, no concrete word, no concrete decision-making uh, here? It just seems like college football has just waited and waited and waited, and now they're just running out of time. Does it seem like nothing has changed within the last two months compared to where we are today? It, it does, and, and – to put it into perspective, how much money is going in revenue is going to be lost. Just we could, you know, we already kind of quantified the 
the hundreds of millions of dollars and billions of dollars that are going to be lost by these schools, conferences, and athletic programs. But consider this from the sports betting industry and media perspective as well. There is as much, if not more, normally more, and of course there's more games, so it's not in more per game average, but more dollars wagered on a college football Saturday than there is an average NFL Sunday. And we already know the numbers we see wagered on NFL. That is a lot less handle for these sports books. That means a lot less revenue for them, a lot less opportunity for that industry to continue to hire and grow. And then same thing on the media side, where so much of that revenue and content is built around college football. Expect to continue to see furloughs and layoffs in the sports betting media and sports betting industry uh, due to this college football-related cancellation. All right, Matthew Holt, U.S. Integrity, joins us. And, again, that sportsbook background that you're talking about, let's look at us because uh, everyone here in Vegas, I mean, they're fearful of, like, what, you're going to take away college football? You're taking away my Saturday afternoons? I mean, that is, is definitely brutal. We see the NFL is continuing to hang on, hang on as long as they can and just and just push forward here. So let you, know, you talked about the economic side of that, but let's talk about the psyche here of going through a a college football season from the end of August to the middle of January, basically when the national championship game is, without any betting whatsoever or any viewing thinking about your saturday afternoons where you're not locked into your television here on the west coast from 9 a.m to 9 p.m yeah i would be very wary of uh, investing in any of those uh, sports betting stocks right now because so much advertising and marketing spend goes into the college football season and they've put a lot of money out already uh, a lot of these companies dedicated to attracting customers based around college football. I mean, the NFL is always king, but college football is the clear number two. It's not number four or five. It is the clear second favorite wagering sport in the entire country. Um, and, and it's going to be a really strange thing and, and a financially devastating thing for so many on so many different levels without college football this fall. And speak to the actual numbers of that, Matt. You know those numbers pretty darn well of what a – average handle is for a, for a Saturday afternoon and then go ahead and just lead us to what kind of numbers you're looking at for for college football once the bowl games hit and an entire season of college football gone it's literally hundreds of millions of dollars every single Saturday across this country hundreds of millions of dollars every Saturday lost um, and to put it into perspective alone, Nevada, which about 20% of their revenue comes from college football and sports betting, they do, you know, they do just over six billion uh, last year. They did close to six billion. A little over a billion came from college football. At the end of the day, over a billion dollars in, in wagers and, and the tax revenue off those wagers and the revenue earned will be lost just in the state of Nevada. It'll be more than that in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Uh, it's just a massive number. When we look into what is the potential handle loss, the taxable uh, handle where all the revenue is generated, it could easily be in the like 8 to $10 billion range of loss this year just for the sports books and the states affiliated with those alone. All right. So what is your feeling in regards to those people? And I'm one of them that says this whole thing 
could be premature, that there is a big-time overreaction, not to minimize COVID or anything of that nature, but when you look at Michigan with zero positive tests out of the last 353 and having these guys you know, continuing on with their lives, these college students going to school like you're talking about, but all these, these athletes, and especially the ones that have a future, a potential future to play in the National Football League, possibly now what happens with the NFL draft going forward here. I mean, is this premature to just cut the legs off at this point in time? Or do you say maybe, hey, let's go to these training camps and let's see if people pick up this virus. Let's see what happens with a positive test at that point in time. Give me your thoughts. Well, I think that a decision had to be made. And here's the problem, regardless of what side of this decision or what um, that your opinion may falls on, that we're running out of time here. I mean, we're just certainly running out of time. And I think to the conference's credit, they have looked for alternatives. We've seen the SEC come out with the alternative schedule, which they announced, adding the two extra games. Um, but at some point, you just run out of time where if you're going to – be able to get these student athletes on campus and practicing and play games you have to make a decision and we're probably at that mark here uh you know in the middle of august now all of a sudden where if if that decision was going to be yes or no that it had to be made probably this week and and that's why i think we're going to see most of these come down this week and i think at the end of the day the pressure from the medical community the pressure of the amount of unknowns and i don't know that it's the medical community saying it's not safe as much as it is the medical community saying um, there's just so many unknowns and unknown variables still at this point that we can't give you the guarantees you're looking for um, and that's probably going to end up being the reason we don't have a college football season all right final thing for you here we go speculation time do you think we have a fall college football season a spring college football season or no college football season i think it's no college football season i've talked to quite a few people that say the schematics and of trying to work out a spring football season present a lot more challenges than a lot of people realize and it's not nearly as simple as anybody thinks just rescheduling it in the spring and then after rescheduling it in the spring turning around and then putting it in you know uh, restarting it again in the fall, especially thing, with things like the draft already in place, which right now takes place in April, but would a spring season even end by April? And There's just so many issues with it. My gut feeling is if they cancel in the fall of 2020, then we won't see them again until the fall of 2021, and it may look a lot different in the fall of 2021 with the devastation that this could have to collegiate financial budgets at certain universities. I'm pretty sure we probably won't see 128 D1 teams if we don't have football this year. That's true. All right, my friend, we appreciate the knowledge, appreciate the insight, appreciate the thoughts as always. Great stuff. Uh, we'll get you back on. We'll hopefully talk a little NBA and, and some NHL as well too because those leagues are, are going forward. And we're getting into playoff mode with that. Seems like uh, their bubbles are, are, are pretty well secured. So, uh, you know, if you got any final thoughts on that, go ahead and hit us real quick. Yeah, look, I thought the NHL did a great job of starting in the playoffs. I think if the NHL and the NBA both had to do them over again, they would both restart right with the playoffs. Because the fact that every game meant something 
the NHL's games have felt more impactful. I mean, we've had so many teams resting players in the NBA the last week, uh, and we're seeing it in the handle numbers. A much higher percentage of the wagers going on NHL than they normally would in a head-to-head comparison. So great for the NHL. They got some great games. They got a bunch of comebacks. Every game matters. I like that idea. All right, Matthew Holt, U.S. Integrity, giving it to us from both sides from the uh, business model from with the college football commissioners speaking to the betting side here in Las Vegas and the state of Nevada. All right, brother, be good. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you later. Thanks, TC. Best of luck. Take care. There you go. Matt Holt breaking it down. All right, Slapshot, when you hear all that, what hits you? Well, it's the economic impact. It's not just the sports books, TC. Think, think about UNLV right here, the new stadium, how much money they would have made. Mm-hmm. Think about when UCLA goes to Colorado for a football game, the restaurants, the hotels in Boulder, all the money that fly. And that's just one scenario. There is so much money being lost here. Yeah. And, again, if you have no fans – you know, in the stands and in college football is still being played. And you look at some of those environments, like you said, uh, you know, Boulder, Colorado, you look at Tuscaloosa, Auburn, Alabama. I mean, it goes, you know, in Mississippi, Starkville, wherever you, you go through all of those places. This is all they have. That's all they know. And we've talked about that before. But, you know, from an economic standpoint, people losing jobs. But just, these people, they live, eat, breathe for college football, especially down in the south. And even in the Midwest, and you take that away, what's going to happen? At least if you've got a college football season where you can't go to the stadium inside, you can still tailgate. You can still have your parties. You can go to the bars and the restaurants, and the economy can still flow, and you have those talking points. You have the the, the water cooler conversations back at work on Monday and everything. If you take all that away – That's demoralizing as well, too. I think where the fear here is, and everyone realizes this is a serious situation, but when you look at, you know, the you have to continue to live their lives. Everyone is preaching that, hey, we still got to go to work, you know, still try to find a job, even though so many people are out of work at this point in time right now. And there are these college athletes that still, you know, their window is, is very small to begin with to only play three to four years. If you're lucky and to take that away from them, especially the the ones that have professional futures, you know, in the National Football League. So, again, I I like the idea of 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 trying to go forward as much as we possibly can. And then if you need to shut it down, you shut it down. The NFL said that the NBA, the NHL, the WNBA, Major League Baseball. Hey, Major League Baseball has had plenty of hiccups, but you know what? They're continuing to go on. And really, aside from two bonehead teams, (laughs) everyone else has gotten it right in Major League Baseball, right? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. So, and and again, I'm going to go back to, to Harbaugh, what he said in those Michigan tests. I mean, their last 353 tests, there's no positives. Yeah. They're all negative. And everyone is afraid. Again, what are they afraid of? The liability. Right. I understand that. But playing college football or playing professional football, every one of these kids takes their lives into their own hands no matter what, virus or no virus, spinal cord injuries, brain damage. We've seen that. So that's why I pose the question, uh, is this a little bit overreactionary yeah i really i believe it is at this point in time especially take it through training camp and and do the daily testing and then go from there do what the nfl is doing just plan on playing football if you need to pull back pull back 
And I don't care if people think that, hey, that, that's the wrong approach. Well, that's what these sports leagues are doing. And again, it's not just for the money, but it's for the sake of getting back to a normal life and not letting this virus kick us in the tails here. Some of this stuff will never come back, T.C. There are smaller schools, junior colleges. There are D3 schools that have lost their athletic programs, and they'll never come back it's true. from this. Exactly. Exactly. All right, Trevor Maddich is going to join us on the other side, so hang tight with that. Trevor, of course, from ESPN, the college football analyst, uh, has been great joining us here all the time. So we are going to get his thoughts on the news that came out uh, from yesterday and this morning that the Big Ten is talking about shutting down uh, their their football season. Uh, the other Power Five conferences are going to come to a decision within the next 24 to 48 hours. We'll break all that down and get his thoughts when we come back. Nashville hot chicken, bold pork sandwiches, award-winning Vietnamese wings, and plenty of ice-cold craft brews. Just a taste of what you'll find at Block 16 Urban Food Hall at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. Six hand-picked restaurants from foodie capitals across the country. Fresh flavors, world-renowned chefs, and a lively atmosphere draw you in. From donuts to hand rolls to everything in between, grab, go, and get back to the game. Block 16 Urban Food Hall at the Cosmopolitan of of Las Vegas. This is TC Martin, and there is no better time to get your carpets clean than now, and that means it's time to call Zero Res. Vote to the best in Las Vegas. Zero Res is the only carpet clean service I use. The results are amazing. They clean and disinfect all areas of your home using their patented power water system. And most importantly, they are safe. No one cleans like Zero Res. They deep clean all surfaces, including carpets, rugs, tile, and upholstery. They are the most trusted carpet cleaner in Las Vegas. Plus, the deals are amazing. Call now and ask for the T.C. Martin special. Three rooms of carpet for only $99, plus free tile cleaning of up to 100 square feet. Your home will never look better. Make that appointment and save. Call or go to ZeroRes.com. That's Z-E-R-O. R-E-Z.com. Call 840-3333. Freddy's Frozen Custard and Steak Burgers now has a new location on Rainbow near Russell Road. All the great Freddy's favorites are back, including the delicious steak burgers, patty melts, Chicago dogs, and the best frozen custard and sundaes. Freddy's Frozen Custard and Steak Burgers, now with four locations in the Valley. Two in Henderson on Warm Springs and Julia Road, and Eastern near Silverado Ranch, and two in Las Vegas at Charleston and Decatur, and its newest location on Rainbow and Russell. Freddy's, the taste that brings you back. This is T.C. Martin, and you know how I feel about great food. Introducing the best European-style deli in Las Vegas. It's Cured and Way, serving the best gourmet artisan sandwiches cheeses and meats from around the world along with soups salads and more you can enjoy fantastic selections of beer and wine also and now happy hour specialty items with beer and wine cured and way has a large selection of domestic and imported cheeses and charcuterie also serving breakfast monday through friday see the menu at curedandway.com it's cured and way at 6265 south valley view off of post road cured and way your specialty food source it's Bar. Hey, Frank, what are you doing? Just a little dentistry. My tooth is killing me. Here, take this string and tie it around that door handle. What? Just do it now. I don't think this is a good idea. And shut the door on your way out. Oh! Visit the friendly staff and professionals at Dr. Weinman's Green Valley location. For more info, go to WeinmanDental.com. That's W-I-N-E-M-A-N Dental.com. 
Why didn't you just go to Dr. Weinman? He's the best. Now you're telling me. This is T.C. Martin, and when you have that special occasion you need to look sharp, I have just the place for you to go get suited up. Visit my friends at Friar Tux. They have the latest styles, and fashion will make you look like the toast of the party. Friar Tux is fashion forward with a variety of tuxes and suits that will make you look so good. Whether it's for a wedding, prom, special event, or just a fancy night out, Friar Tux has you covered. Choose from an extensive selection of stylish suits, tuxedos, and accessories that you can rent or buy. You will be amazed with great specials and tremendous savings. More importantly, Friar Tux gives you the best personalized service from a friendly and experienced staff. They will fit you to a T and give you the look you want. Check out all the stylish threads at Friar Tux. Visit them in person at 3540 West Sahara near Valley View or go online at FriarTux.com. For your next event or just to add to your wardrobe, get styling at Friar Tux. More from your favorite sports radio physician. Wow, that's the best news I heard in a dog's age. The Dr. T.C. Martin. Oh, I, I think we're it's rise and shout time. And our good friend from ESPN, the former BYU Cougar, the former NFL star, and another Emmy Award winner over the weekend. Trevor Maddox joins us now as we talk a little college football. Trevor, take off that helmet, my man. Smile for the camera. I am smiling big all through my plastic <laughs> face shield that I will have to wear if all of football is not canceled. <laughs> that is true, my friend. That is true. All right, so a lot to cover, but before we dive into that, we we had the Emmy Awards this past weekend, I believe, and we had to go virtual, but that didn't stop you from collecting some more hardware. Tell us all about it. Yeah, you know, it was exciting. It was virtual, so uh, we didn't get together in the grand gala event that we normally do. So my wife, Dana, and I dressed up at home as if we were there, and we watched the uh, Emmys on TV, and I won for Best Sports Analyst. So, yes. hey, there's another one. There's another. So, so I, we already got to uh, change all of our verbiage here. Uh, we got to make it 16. That's it. Not 15 yeah. Emmy Awards. It's 16 and counting. And will this one end up in the closet as well, in, in the box with the rest of them? I have already cleared out the space in the closet where this Emmy in its box will join the others. <laughs> you are so modest, my friend. So modest. Well, what am I going to do? I'm going to line up 16 Emmys in my living room and stand in front of them and say, wow, look at me. I rock. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, I appreciate it, man. I'm honored that, that, that my peers would, would honor me this way and recognize my work. At the same time, at some point, my wife really wants to put them up. And yeah. sometimes, at some point, she'll win. But yeah. for now, it's the closet. There it is. Trevor Maddich, the humble one himself, and a fantastic job. No one does it better from a college football analysis. We see him on ESPN and appreciate his friendship. Appreciate your time for joining us here because I know how busy you are, and uh, especially today, Trevor. So let's recap again what we know so far. College football season on the brink of potential cancellation or or maybe postponement. We'll see here. Power Five Conference Commissioners held the emergency meeting yesterday to, to talk about this. Uh, the Big Ten came out and said, you know, the vast majority of presidents are willing to postpone the season, uh, hopefully the spring, or maybe cancel it. Uh, the Pac-12 will hold a meeting tomorrow with its presidents. We know that the MAC actually canceled its fall season on Saturday. They're the first conference to do so. So now we got to hear what Trevor Maddich has to say and give us the latest. Well, it's kind of crazy. I mean, it's looking, based on these reports, that 
that the Big Ten uh, is likely to cancel and the Pac-12 is likely to follow suit. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there won't be a college football season. If the ACC, Big 12, and SEC decide they want to play, there will still be college football and there will still be a legitimate national champion. I mean, no, no disrespect to the Pac-12 or the Big Ten, but all but one of the college football playoff national champions were won by, I think, the ACC or the SEC. Ohio State won it uh, in, I think, the first year, but they haven't won a playoff game since uh, in, in five years. So I think that uh, we still could have college football, even if only three or even two Power Five conferences play. That is an interesting take. Because we saw what happened going back to March Madness when the Ivy League came out and said, okay, hey, we're done. And then we saw you know, the ACC say, okay, we're, ca- we're canceling our tournament. And then uh, the, the Pac-12 did the exact same thing on, you know, after their, they played their opening round here in Las Vegas at T-Mobile Arena. And then we saw you know, other conferences you know, continuing to play. And then finally, you know, the Big East said, well, you know what, we're going to play. And then all of a sudden they shut it down after, you know, the the, the one game uh, St. John's was playing. And there was a lot of reluctancy. There was a lot of unknown, uh, and, but they all fell like dominoes. And we hear a lot of these comments, Trevor, where, and they're varying. We see one Power 5 coach said, you know, hey, nobody wants to be the first to do it. And now no one will want to be the last. So, can you actually see certain conferences going on and saying we're going to play if other conferences say no, we're not? Because that's complete opposite what we saw with college basketball. Yeah, it, it might happen. The hard part is what you said. I mean, there was a, a college football coach that was quoted um, saying that, hey, you know, no one wants to be the last one to, to opt out. And that is important because of liability and because of perception if the big 12 or big 10 does opt out then the pressure it puts on everybody else is that if there is a player that gets seriously ill especially if it causes a death or long-term organ damage as apparently has happened to at least one uh, player offensive lineman at indiana according to his mom on facebook then what will happen is the perception will be that that school that conference should have canceled football in the fall just like the Big Ten did, if the Big Ten does. So it adds extra pressure. I think it makes it all the more courageous for university presidents to say that they will play because there's no liability if you say you're not going to play from a standpoint of lawsuits from parents based on kids that get sick and possibly die. There's, There's no smearing of your motivations of wanting to have nothing but but money and you don't care about the health of your players none of that thing none of that will happen if you choose not to play Mm. if you choose to play and there are good reasons to choose to play then all of those potential liabilities are on the table Mm. and i think that's where the real courage would be if that decision is made by schools to play how much of this do you put on the media that they could actually sway these commissioners and these presidents. And then also 
with the abundance of social media, the way everybody just you know goes on social media and, and has these opinions, and we have story after story, and everybody wants to have a voice here. There are people out there, obviously, that say, "Hey, you know, the, the media drives a lot of this. Whether it's 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 poli- it's politics, it's sports, it's life in general." Here, uh, again, you're a guy who takes his journalism very very seriously. You are part of the media, and as you know, there are credible media, there are non-credible media, and then social media can be a disaster at times. Let's talk about that angle. Well, it can be a disaster there, and I think to see how big of a disaster, just look back to the University of Tennessee's head football coaching search a few years ago. They decided to hire Greg Schiano, who at the time was the Ohio State defensive coordinator. But Schiano was at Penn State when the things were happening there under Joe Paterno with their defensive coordinator, Sandusky, Jerry, Jerry Sandusky, I think it is. And there's no evidence that Shiano had anything to do with all the bad things that happened at Penn State during that time. But because he was there, Twitter went ballistic about bringing Shiano in to coach the volunteers. And because Twitter was so vehement about it, Tennessee backed out of their offer to Shiano, and he didn't get that job. Now, whether or not that was a good or bad thing is not relevant. What's relevant is that that perception is very important. In that case, there was convictions of child abuse at Penn State. That's a big deal that you don't want to be smeared with. In this case, you've got the potential for players who may have a comorbidity that's been undiagnosed or for whatever other reason have a long-term bad outcome with the coronavirus because they played football, and that same kind of, of swarm will happen. And again, whether it's fair or not is, is not, I think, what university presidents would look at. They do not want it to happen on their watch, and they don't want their history to have the asterisk that they were the guy that could have canceled the season but chose not to, and hey, look what happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Trevor Mass joins us. ESPN just collected his 16th Emmy Award over the weekend for outstanding college football analysis. Trevor, let's talk about the differing opinions here with coaches and presidents and conference commissioners here. We mentioned one Power 5 coach said, hey, no one wanted to be the first to do it. No one will be the last. Jim Harbaugh comes out and says this. I'd like to address the rumors that are swirling today. Harbaugh said that I'm not advocating for football this fall because of my passion or our players' desire to play, but because of the facts accumulated over the last eight weeks since our players returned to campus on June the 13th. What he's referring to is Michigan has had zero positive tests out of the last 300 and I think that bears repeating again. Out of the last 353 tests, zero positive tests. He says, we have developed a great prototype for how we can make this work and provide the opportunity for players to play. If you are transparent and follow the rules, this is how it can be done. Nick Saban came out and said also that players are more safe on their campus and these other campuses instead of sending players maybe back to their hometowns. Uh, a group of five athletic director said, I don't know why we are trying to push to play in the fall. It's always made more sense to me playing in the spring. So when you hear all those statements, let's hear Trevor Maddich's response. Well, I think they're all fair. I think reasonable people with good motivations can disagree on this whole thing. I think Harbaugh is right that they've been successful to this point of keeping the virus from encroaching into their football program. Now, once you start playing other teams, you're also trusting that they will be able to do the same thing. 
But if testing is good, then it may well be that you've got a good chance of making that happen. And I think what's happened in Major League Baseball is actually a positive for college football. When the Marlins ended up with half their team testing positive literally in the first days of the season, and then a few other teams have done it as well, it really lit a fire under everybody else. And most, the vast majority, as of the last that I have checked the news, of Major League Baseball teams have buckled down and they haven't had positive tests. And I think college football players can look at that and say, look, it's real now. We have seen a sports team, the Marlins, lose a good portion of the season so far because somebody you came into that, that complex, into that clubhouse, positive for the virus. And maybe it was somebody who was a knucklehead and doing something you shouldn't have done. Maybe it was somebody that did everything they were supposed to do right, but they got it anyway, which is also possible. Either way, I think that would cause college football players to double down. Now, you would think so. Let's put it that way. Because at LSU, early in, in June, I think it was, they ended up with about 30 student-athletes test positive, and they traced it back to uh, a bunch of people going to a bar off campus. Well, that's knucklehead stuff. Even in June, that's knucklehead stuff. Well, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, reports are that at Louisville, there was a party. A bunch of athletes went, and a bunch of them tested positive. Now, that's pure, straight, hardcore knucklehead stuff right there. But if they end up losing part of their season because of that kind of knucklehead stuff, that just makes other teams, other players look at that and say, look, we've worked too hard and we have too much at stake to be an idiot like that. And there are some colleges right now that are putting up their players in hotels to kind of put them in sort of a semi-bubble. I think there will be a move to have players study online in their academic complexes and maybe have uh, tutors that are tested as much as the players come in to help them. And there are ways to do it. And if 10% of the teams that end up playing end up having to miss games or even drop out because of outbreaks, but the other 90% or 80% or 70% of the teams who do a good job like Michigan is so far can continue to get a bunch of games uh, onto the field, I think you'll probably see that happen. From a player's perspective, uh, Trevor Lawrence, the star quarterback, the Heisman uh, candidate from Clemson, he had this to say. I'm going to read this here. People are just as much, if not more, risk if we don't play. Players will be sent home to their own communities where social distancing is highly unlikely and medical care and expenses will be placed on the families if they were to contract COVID-19. Not to mention the players coming from situations that are not good for them, their future, and having to go back to that. Football is a safe haven for so many people. We are more likely to get the virus in everyday life than playing football. Having a season also incentivizes players being safe and taking all the right precautions to try to avoid contracting COVID because the season slash teammate safety is on the line. Without the season, as we've seen already, people will not social distance or wear masks and take the proper precaution. Your thoughts on what Trevor Lawrence had to say? Well, he's absolutely right. He's absolutely right. People have this zero-sum mentality that if you don't play football, you're safe from COVID. No, that's actually not the, tr not, not the case, especially at schools where they don't allow students back on campus and everybody's got to go back home. And I think people lose sight of what college football programs do for their players away from football. There are very highly evolved 
programs to develop personal character, to develop accountability. They bring in speakers. They have, they have workshops, all kinds of things, so that the players are not just developed physically, but they're developed mentally, emotionally. It helps them grow up. It helps them realize the consequences of their own behavior to other people. Some of those speakers that come in are women who have been abused, I mean horribly abused, by college-age men. And they'll stand in front of a group of 100 college football players and look them in the eye and tell them what happened. And that changes a lot of lives when that happens. Well, those experiences don't happen for most people if they're not inside of a college football program. And if you send them outside, you send them away, they go back to, in some cases, some pretty bad places where they don't really have much of a chance. Uh, and in some cases, it's not so bad, right? But if you're talking about where the players are better off as individuals or as a group, college football is part of the solution to what ails some of the problems that young men have in our society today. It's not part of the problem, part of the solution. And if you take that away, you add other issues that might offset what you might benefit by not having them play and be at risk for contracting COVID. Mm -hmm. Trevor Maddich, ESPN college football analyst, joined us talking about college football. Will we have a season or not? Trevor, let's look at it from this standpoint. We just talked about what Trevor Lawrence had to say, and other players are, are also very, very outspoken, saying, hey, we want to play. All right, so let's go with this angle here. Why can't we take the approach of going to training camp, seeing what happens, see if those Michigan numbers hold up everywhere else, and take the NFL's approach on planning on playing and then always come to a, a stop. That's what Major League Baseball did. That's what the NBA said they were going to do. And hockey, let's go forward and see what happens here. Should we listen more to the players? Because they're sounding more and more unified that they want to play. Coaches want to coach. What should we do here? You see, I think that's a great point because there are a lot of conflicting interests. The, uh, the liability lawyers that are advising university presidents have one perspective. Medical professionals have a variety of perspectives because there are a lot of medical professionals that don't think it's that big a deal. Others think it's a huge deal. But they have their perspective as they advise the university presidents. There are the bean counters, the accountants that are looking at what is apparently around $80 million of revenue that the average Power 5 school will lose if they don't play football. They have their own perspective. But ultimately, I have trouble moving away from the concept that it is the players themselves and their parents who should have the greatest say in what risk they are willing to take based on what rewards they hope to get. And some of those rewards are just the love of the game. Some of it might be the potential to go on to the next level. I mean, I was one of those guys. I would tell myself, my younger self, to play if I could go back and do that right now. If it were Ebola or hepatitis or something like that, I would absolutely not play. But this, based on what I know now, which could evolve, I would play. And it's because I love the game, love being around the guys, and because of the opportunities that may arise that I didn't know would arise, but turned out that they did. My junior year at BYU, I was a 238-pound center. No chance of getting drafted. My senior year, I got a little bigger, and I ended up going to, in the first round in high school. My, uh, up until my junior year, I had never started at any high school sport. 
through my junior year. My senior year in high school was the first time I ever earned a starting position at a school sport. And that year, I got scholarship interest from a whole bunch of schools, ended up playing college football, and then going on to the NFL as the first-round draft choice, neither of which would have happened had my senior high school season been canceled. So I'm not saying that other people should do what I would recommend for my young self. That's just me, right? People need to make their own decisions for themselves. But I, I just have a lot of trouble coming to grips with the concept that somebody besides the player or the parents will point a finger and say, I know what's better for you, and I'm telling you what risk and rewards you are allowed to choose. I, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Trevor Maddich speaking there from the player's perspective, and you alluded about your situation. Anybody wants to see Trevor's bio or see his Great video. Go to our Sacramento Sports Hall of Fame uh, page there where Trevor was inducted uh, this past January, and uh, you can see that uh, full-blown right there for a guy that needed more time, needed more years to develop. And exactly, Trevor, what you're talking about, uh, a lot of these players feel that way because, you know, right now, if they don't have a season, then what's going to happen in the draft? I mean, there's so many... So many things here that, that are on the line. We're talking about the television money with the universities. We're talking about the future of these college athletes. And then, again, we're talking about from this fan's perspective, and we've talked about this before, too, about those people in those small communities throughout the SEC, Big Ten country, uh, Big 12 country, everywhere that, you know, jobs are on the line here at some of these stadiums. And then just having something to do and living their passion, that, uh, that it, it, it would go away. I mean, you know, again, some of this seems a little premature. Some of it seems overreacting. No one's trying to dismiss anything about this disease or anything. But at some point in time, you know, everyone says, hey, move on with your life and let's be safe. Let's see what we can do here and progress that way. I want to hit you with this. West Virginia AD Shane Lyons, who's also the chair of the Oversight Committee, he had this quote. He says, no one has talked about a plan if the season is canceled. If it's canceled, we need to be able to give clear direction at that time as opposed to saying, well, we don't know. It seems like we've been getting we don't know, let's wait and see, for the last four or five months. And now people are saying, well, maybe it'll be safer to play in the spring. Do, Do you subscribe to that theory of just keep pushing it back and pushing it back? I don't think pushing it back is the thing to do. I'd rather move it forward. Right. Because when you move it forward, you create space where if teams have to sit out for a week or even two, they still have games they can play and they have makeup possibilities. So the SEC is going to start, I think, on September 29th. So they're pushing it back to kind of see what happens before they actually take the field. And there are advantages in that. They can kind of get an idea of what might work and what might not work, see how the NFL is doing, get more data in from Major League Baseball. I get that part of it. But I think starting earlier might be the better call. Because if you go into, for example, the ACC, who wants a 10-plus-1, where they'll play 11 total games, 10 conference games, and one non-conference game, uh, that may end up being not 11 games, but it may end up being eight games for some teams, seven games for others, maybe six for others. Maybe 11 for others, who knows? But by starting earlier, you give yourself the chance to be able to to make that up in what otherwise might have been a bye week or a week where you have a game canceled and you can reschedule really quickly with another opponent who had their game that week canceled. All right, Trevor, great stuff, my friend. We'll let you get back to it. I appreciate you taking the time, giving us uh, the insight and the latest. 
Uh, can't thank you enough, my friend. Again, congratulations on Emmy number 16. You matched Joe Montana's number. Uh, you know what? That, that I didn't even... I didn't even think of it that way. But I got, I'm going to disappoint Joe because I'm not stopping at 16. There you go. Yeah, go to Steve DeBerg. Go to Roman you know Gabriel. Uh, keep going. Keep going. I'm going. My next stop is Miko Hardman of the Chiefs. Uh, he runs about a 4-2-40, and that's 17. So uh, we'll try that. Very nice, my friend. All right, Trevor, be good. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, BC. Trevor Maddich, ESPN College Football Analyst. Great stuff there. I want to appreciate Trevor joining us today. Matthew Holt, Stevie Slapshot for pressing all the right buttons. You're welcome, buddy. That's it. All right. So, are you back tomorrow, Stevie? I don't think so. You don't think so? We'll see. We'll we'll see. We'll play it by ear. We'll play it by ear. Terrible Tuesday tomorrow. Scott Spritzer will join us tomorrow, too. Handicapper extraordinaire. We'll get his thoughts. If you miss any part of the show, go to the website, tcmartinshow.com. Follow the podcast there, Spotify, anywhere else. Have yourself a good one. We'll catch you tomorrow. The world-famous Radio Shopping Show weekdays on 1400 KSHP North Las Vegas. Online at KSHP.com. Chicago is closing parts of its downtown after hundreds of looters descended on Chicago's upscale.